John Dixon does some I'd often be sitting in. great stuff, and I really recommend uh, any of his resources. Welcome to our snapshots from the Gospel of Luke series. Love your enemies. The most extraordinary statement about ethics ever made. These words from the lips of Jesus challenge us to our very core. Listen to the full command of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to repay it in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Having heard Jesus' full command, I imagine a thought like this is going through your head. I must try harder to love my enemies. And maybe you might add on a little caveat, because Jesus said so. Then, if your brain is like mine, it starts to make a list of, of people you really don't want to love. And maybe, maybe some possible steps that I could grit my way through that would potentially look a little loving. And really, if I'm honest, I'm left feeling rather unmotivated. Jesus' command is radical. And if I'm honest, I see such a gap between my everyday choices and the extraordinary lifestyle Jesus is commanding. I'm left asking, what will bridge this gap? How will I be transformed from who I am now to become a Jesus-following lover of my enemies? We have a problem. We don't love our enemies. That's why Jesus' command is so extraordinary. We don't do good to those who hate us. When cursed, I don't bless back. When slapped, we run away or we slap harder back. When asked for money on the street, you don't give an unlimited credit card with your name on it. We don't love our enemies like Jesus commands us to. And we look to the wrong sources of motivation to love our enemies. My natural reaction to Jesus' words is, I must try harder to love my enemies. This reflects our culture's obsession with self-empowerment, self-help. We bind to the lie that we have all that we need to be successful. We take the command of Jesus and assume that with enough willpower, with enough self-talk, with enough effort, I will be good enough to complete Jesus' command. Well, 
I will be good enough not to please God, but to be my own God. In doing this, we fail to see the fundamental God-centered gospel truth that empowers, that motivates Jesus' command. Jesus' command, love your enemies, is empowered by a transforming truth, not about our own capacity, but about God. Let me show you this from the transforming truth in the Gospel of Luke. Is the last verse that we read, verse 36. And this verse is the foundation of everything that is taught in this passage. Verse 36, the first half. Be merciful. To love your enemies will always be a sacrificial choice of mercy. But what truth empowers such a choice? Listen to the second half of the verse. Be merciful, just as your Father, that is God the Father, is merciful. The transforming truth, gospel truth of this passage is that God is merciful. This truth empowers radical enemy love. The motivation for us to love our enemies runs so much deeper than just because Jesus said so. The motivation for enemy love comes from the very character of God. We need to stop this obsession with looking to ourselves and start looking to God for transformation. Today, we are exploring the merciful character of God revealed in Jesus. God's mercy transforms how we treat our enemies. Our failure to love our enemies is a demonstration of a much bigger problem, our biggest problem. Jesus' command to love your enemies is radical, but it didn't appear from nowhere. The audience that Jesus first commanded it to knew well that God commands love. Deuteronomy 5, uh, chapter 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus puts these two together later in the New Testament, he wasn't coming up with something new. It had already been said. God commands love. God commands that we love him. God commands that we love our neighbor. God's command to love even extends to our enemies. But we fail to love our enemies. We fail to love our neighbors. We fail to love our friends and family, even ourselves. We reject God's command to love. We might get bits of it okay, but to do it in its entirety, to do it with complete consistency, we fail. And this is more than a rejection of a command. This is a rejection of the commander. Our biggest problem is that we have chosen to be God's enemy. Instead of trusting in God's way, we've rebelled and come up with our own self-reliant ways. Our choice to reject God, demonstrated by our unloving actions, leaves us stuck as enemies of God. The only hope is in the transforming truth of the gospel. 
the truth that God is merciful. God mercifully and sacrificially chooses to love his enemies. As we explore Jesus, we discover the mercy of God. Look with me at verses 27 to 30 as we work them through. We first listen to these words, we first listen to these words as a command. Now listen to them again as a description of God's mercy revealed in Jesus. You see, Jesus loved his enemies. Love your enemies. This is verse 27, halfway through. Do good to those who hate you. Jesus pursued our good. I think Romans 5.10 is a helpful place to illustrate this. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. You see, good's a bit of a relative term these days, so it's helpful to define it. The good Jesus pursues for us is reconciliation, a fully restored relationship between God and God's enemy, us. And in all this talk of love, it's important to note that Jesus' example of love does not negate justice. It's often a hidden component in perhaps unbiblical views of love. And justice is essential to true reconciliation. Jesus ensures that the punishment due for our rejection of God faces full justice. Death is the just response for rebellion against God. And Jesus suffers the full justice we deserve through his death on a cross. Because we are God's enemy, Jesus' love for us is a sacrificial choice of mercy by him. We give Jesus hate by rejecting his Father, and Jesus sacrificially gives us good, reconciling, merciful, and just love. Verses 28 to 30. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Over Easter, we remembered how Jesus was cursed, mistreated, slapped and beaten, stripped of his clothing. His very life was demanded of him, and he did not take it back or demand back what belonged to him. Instead, Jesus blessed. Jesus prayed. Jesus offered up not just another cheek, but his whole body. Jesus sacrificially gave everything in love for his enemies. And it's upon this foundation that we need to hear verse 31, a well-known verse often called the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now again, selfishness gets in the way of how we interpret this verse. I want to think of it as, what is the minimum effort I could put up with from others? And that's how I live. And this is completely against the standard that Jesus establishes. 
When we look at the golden rule as a measure of how do I want to treat others, we're sinking back into self-obsessed idolatry once again. We need to put the example of Jesus back into the golden into the measure of the golden rule. To determine how to treat others, we need to look not to how we want to treat them, but to how God treats us. And how God treats me provides a measure of how I am to treat others. As we keep reading through the passage, verses 32 to 34 shows us the outcome of love that is not measured by God's merciful example. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those for whom you expect repayment, again, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Love not measured by God's merciful example degenerates into a transaction. A kind of both kind of getting what we want out of each other. We love those who love back. We do good to those who do good back. And we give only to those who will give back. Everyone does this. It is easy to do. But imagine... Imagine if God treated us this way. Actually, I don't think we need to imagine. I think this is often how we treat God. We turn a relationship into a transaction. We, we turn God into this sort of divine vending machine. God, I'm feeling lovely today. I'm so glad I am good enough for you. God, look at all this good ministry I did for you. Now give me something. Do something good back for me. God, look how much I gave in the offering. Now give back to me. And, and please, with interest, my rate is. We have too high an opinion of ourselves and too low a view of God. Remember, we are God's enemies. We deceive ourselves that we think that we are, by God's standard, lovely, good, or giving. We deceive ourselves when we think that God owes us because of our substandard effort. We need to understand that we are sinners in need of a merciful Saviour. We need to cry out in repentance with words like the adulterous murderer King David in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from all my sin. A rebellion against God deserves death. So we need God to mercifully not give us what we deserve. Persist in faith in God's merciful character. 
Consider the blind man on the roadside before Jericho. We hear this story in Luke 18, verses 35 onwards. Upon hearing Jesus was coming, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now the crowd around him tells him to be quiet. It's a bit awkward, really. But he shouts out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops the crowd, meets with this man. I really want to call him the man of blind faith, but his faith is actually well-placed. Jesus heals him. He receives sight and follows Jesus, praising God. What a great example of persisting in faith. So persist in faith. Shout out for God's mercy. God is indeed merciful. As we grapple with the depth of our total dependence upon God's mercy, this should transform how we respond in situations that depend on our mercy. Verse 35. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Our dependence upon God's mercy is displayed through our merciful actions. Being merciful shows we realize we have experienced God's mercy. It's a very different foundation to work harder. God does not expect us to conjure up mercy from within ourselves, but rather God commands us to show, to share our experience of intense mercy the intense mercy of God to us with others. So love your enemies. Out of your experience of God's love for you, his enemy. When you love your enemies, out of your experience of God's love for you, there is a great rewarding reassurance ready for you. Verses 35, the second half. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Offering mercy shows that you are reconciled. Your status and relationship is restored as a child of the Most High God. Now, don't hear this the wrong way around. Loving your enemies is not what restores your relationship with God. It is only through God's merciful and gracious provision of Jesus that this can be happen. But loving your enemies is a re- rewarding, reassuring demonstration that you are living as a child in God's family. It won't get you there, but it will show that show you that you are there. Now, I wonder, have you ever considered what the condiments on your dinner table tell about your family? I've had an interesting experience over the last sort of 10 months getting to have dinner with some of you, and I've I've discovered some interesting habits of North Pine families. For some of you, Salt and pepper is kind of it's the afterthought, the sort of thing that you throw on the table when guests are around because it's, it's kind of what you do. 
For other people, salt and pepper, pride of place, center of table. It's not a meal without it. Then there's the other families where it's, it's tomato, barbecue sauce, maybe sweet chilo, mayo, and, and that's sort of what completes the meal. Then in my mind, it gets a little bit more creative. Sour cream, cheese, mustard, I know I'm not that interesting, um, salad dressing, and those little bottle, bottles of chili designed to inflict pain. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with you, but go for it. Now, don't worry, I'm not judging your condiment habits. We'll talk more about that next week. It's a trivial example of one of the small choices that demonstrates what it's like to be a part of your family. You know you're in the Coxage family when you add sour cream to your spag bowl. <laughs> and in God's family, displaying mercy is an essential value that demonstrates that you are a member. You're a member of a family led by God who is kind to the ungrateful and wicked, who is kind to those ungrateful and wicked people like me and like you. Loving our enemies is not something that we do naturally. It's definitely not something that we can do out of our own strength, but that is kind of the point. The only way we can love our enemies is through dependence, through faith upon God and God's mercy revealed in Jesus. We need God's mercy for our failure and we need God's mercy if we're ever to succeed. Love your enemies out of your experience of God's love for you, his enemy. Share in and share out God's transforming mercy as a saved child of our merciful God. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful.